0: The city's in trouble. It's not safe here for you guys. But someone is waiting. I don't like this. The danger is mountain. Nothing's wrong. But someone is watching. We'll protect you. The evil is winning. But someone is fighting back. Come, there's no more time for talk. Gargoyles, every Friday.
1: The story is told, though who can say if it be true, of a clan
2: of medieval warriors awoken in modern-day Manhattan
0: of the animated series that told their story. It is an age of darkness, superstition and the
3: sword rule. It is an age of fear. It is the age of
0: Gargoyles. Welcome to Voices from the Eerie,
1: a Gargoyles podcast.
4: Hello and welcome to Voices from the Erie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm Zach Joyner, the owner of the website that powers the program, spidey-dude.com, and I am the executive producer of the network that powers the program, the Spidey Dude Radio Network. Before we get started, though, I wanted to thank our patrons at patreon.com slash Network, Greg, Jurgen, Vinkman, Scott, Kaylee, and Phoenician. Thank you for your support. And if you want to get the show this show earlier, check it out there as well as other fine perks that you'll get whenever you become a Patreon subscriber. There will be some exclusive content that's only for Patreon subscribers coming to you very soon. But before I turn it over to our hosts, I want to encourage you to check out our other fine programs such as Spidey Dude Experience, ASM Classics, Make Mine Mayday, Bogan Rider Variety Hour, the Salby Sema Era podcast. Clone Saga Chronicles, and his spectacular radio, a spectacular Spider-Man related show. Let's start a few familiar names to the program. Please follow the network on Twitter at SpideyDudeRadio and this show at FromEerie, and feel free to send them feedback at gargoylesvoices at gmail.com. Leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast catcher, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcast, iHeartRadio Podcasts, Amazon Audible, as well as Google Podcasts. It helps us raise our vis- visibility and like, share, and subscribe for more at SpideyDude Network, YouTube.com slash SpideyDude Network. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as I mentioned the Twitter threads, but also follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash SpideyDude Network, as well as Instagram, if you like Instagram, Instagram.com slash SpideyDude Network. With that out of the way, it's absolutely my pleasure to introduce the hosts of our show, Jennifer L. Anderson and Greg Bashansky. Welcome back,
3: Gargoyles fans, to another episode of Voices from the Eerie, a Gargoyles podcast. I'm your co-host, Greg Beshansky, and joining me again is my partner in crime, Jennifer L. Anderson.
5: Hello, everyone.
3: And we are once again joined by the series co-creator and the co-producer of the first two seasons of Gargoyles, and the writer of the SLG comic books Gargoyles and Gargoyles Bad Guys, Mr. Greg Wiseman. Hello again. And we're very happy to be joined by an animator who worked on a show in Japan. He worked for Walt Disney Television Japan, and on this episode also, Mr. Roy Sato. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on. Your perspective is one that we are definitely looking forward to hearing. Very often <laughs> you don't hear from the people who were overseas mm-hmm. hand-drawing these. So it's uh, I'm really looking oh, forward to Oh, I've got stories their... if you
6: want them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're looking forward to getting your brain. Oh, oh he's got wow.
1: dirt. <laughs>
6: yeah, if I should start with alcohol, I can get get some really good stories on this <laughs> on this little podcast. But I'll I'll keep it tame for you guys.
3: <laughs> awesome. So, Roy, tell us a little bit about yourself. What is uh, a little bit about your background and how you went in, got into animation?
6: Oh, okay. Um. All right. Well, um, I started off in animation. Um. Well, basically, I was a fan of drawing. Back in my college days and after I tried out kinds of uh, different classes and trying different ideas of how I was going to, uh, well, I was trying to find a career basically and then I found out, well, maybe art was my thing. And, but the problem was at the time I was really into anime and it was, this is like the early 80s and you know a lot of people really never heard of it. So I told myself, well, you know, why don't I just go to Japan and learn? So I ended up going to a, an anim- animation school in Japan and uh i studied there and ended up uh graduating and, and I became a full-fledged animator um i did work for some anime studios early on but uh i'm sure you guys have probably heard the stories but you know they're not very well paying and and the conditions are pretty bad and all that so i, I was pretty close to giving it up i thought oh maybe anime animation's not for me and then um a teacher of mine said, Hey, why don't you just work for Disney? He's like, "Oh, well, you mean like in Florida or California? Said, no, 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 no. Disney, they're going to be, they're going to open a studio here in Tokyo. It's like, Oh, all right. You know, you, you speak English. You want, why don't you give it a try? And uh, famous last words. I, I was the one of the first ones there and I ended up, you know, working on their TV series. Um, and, uh, it started with things like Darkwing Duck, Little Mermaid, Aladdin, whatnot. And, uh, this little show called Gargoyles came along and, uh, and uh, that was that (laughs) Um, but that was my first dip into you know uh, the whole Disney 2D uh, animation uh, process Um, but from there um, uh, 2D slowly went away Um, you know Disney Japan closed the studios and uh, a lot of us were forced to either give up or adapt and by adapt meaning we all kind of shifted over to 3D animation because that was a big thing you know Pixar came to light and you know Toy Story was huge and so we all kind of ended up doing um, 3D animation. And some of us did it, some of us couldn't. Uh, they ended up just doing other things. So, <clears throat> But in my or case, I ended that up... Was a
5: hard transition to go from 2D to 3D?
6: Yeah, that, for me, it was relatively okay. I Maybe mean, I was into computers a little bit, so it wasn't too bad. But a lot of my coworkers, they just could not grasp the concept of... You know, staring at a monitor and opening up, you know, Windows and things like that to to animate. So it it sadly it kind of divided the uh, you know the industry a little bit in regards to animation, but. But for those who did adapt, um, it was great. You know, and my one of my biggest first uh, attempts at it was the Final Fantasy movie. I don't know if you guys remember that. I was like over twenty.
5: Oh my years gosh, ago. I do. Yeah, <laughs> that, was,
6: that was that was my first attempt. I was actually the lead on that because the industry was so new. They were like, hey man, we'll hire anybody who knows animation. It's like, all right, and I, I was one of the first ones there. I like, all right, well, you're the lead animator on this crazy movie we're trying to put together. Okay. Anyway, so that that was an interesting chapter. And then from there, you know, the industry blew up and everybody was doing everything. You know, we had the Wachowskis from Matrix come to talk to us. We, you know, I ended up going to um, some smaller studios. And right now I I ended up at uh, Digital Domain, which is a big visual effects house here in L.A. And um, ironically, I'm doing a lot of Disney stuff or Marvel stuff, you know, and um, it's in a weird way. It's kind of come full circle. So but um, it's all 3D. Um I'm technically doing animation, but I'm also doing what they call previs. Um It's kind of this nice little middle ground where you're working with the directors and storyboard guys, and you're basically creating animation but in very rough form. So, you know, you're showing to the directors like, hey, this is, is this what you guys had in mind? And it's basically like a moving storyboard. And then most of the time, you know, the audience doesn't see it. They may behind the scenes footage, maybe. But, you know, we're basically creating the movie for the director. Uh, and then when they approve it, then it goes to final animation and lighting and rendering and whatnot. So uh, it's a fun process. It's, um, you know, you're, you're still being creative, but you're also, you know, still doing animation and whatnot. So it's, it's been a blast. That's what I've been doing for at least 3, 11, 12 years at digital domain now here in LA. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of been my path. It's that's fantastic. It's mm-hmm. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But,
2: uh, Roy, were you on, uh, Gargoyles? Uh, did you join? Uh, so you joined Disney before Gargoyles started, or, or during Gargoyles?
6: It was before. Um, my first show at Disney Japan was um, Darkwing Duck, um, okay. and then it went, and then it went from Little Mermaid and Goof Troop and Bonkers. I don't know if you guys remember that show, Aladdin. Sure. And and <laughs> it's funny because Greg, I remember all the paperwork and the stuff you guys sent us because. I, just, I'm going to be blunt on a shit. I was really this close to quitting Disney. I thought, oh, this is this is kind of lame. You know, we're just doing TV series of all the big movies they're doing here in L.A. and I'm like, wow, we feel like second fiddle around here. All we do is just, you know, make these TV series for, you know, a tiny budget and we're trying to keep up with all these big titles that are coming out of L.A. And then, then you guys came along, you know, oh, gargoyles. Oh, okay. This is kind of cool. It looks dark and different. And, um, so yeah, I was there from day one, um, to answer your question, Greg. Um, we saw the, you know, the, the paperwork that you guys sent, all the, the you know, the test designs and the, the, um, the story ideas and stuff. And I thought, oh, this is great. This is really different. I think this is going to be something really neat. Um, but yeah, that's how it started with me anyway. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I believe at the time Frank Frank Power came over when uh, once production started, you know he came over from L.A. Yeah. and he spent some time with us, and uh, yeah, we talked, and you know I was one of like maybe two native English speakers in the studio, so he you know, Frank and I talked a lot. He talked about his toys and stuff like that, and I'd be like, oh, oh, that's cool. This guy's a toy addict, you know. This is he's a collector, but um, but yeah, yeah, it was good to have a. Uh, Another English speaker in the studio. (laughs) Nice, nice.
3: Fondest memories working on gargoyles. Do you have a favorite character character to draw?
6: Oh, the fondest memories, huh? Mm. It's funny. Um, of all the shows I've done, it's funny. I've always kind of gravitated towards female characters, and not because like, oh, I like to draw women or anything. It's just like I like really strong women characters because they're kind of the most interesting to to animate. So I kind of gravitated towards Demona because you know from from day one from the awakenings episode, I was like, wow, this is a this is a pretty badass character, and you know she was she was voiced by Deanna Troy, you know like oh this is you know I was into Star Trek at the same time too, so I thought oh boy this is a, a really fun character. So you know early on you're you know we're we had no footage to. um Based all animation on because, like, not like Aladdin or Little Mermaid or whatever, which you know had an existing movie, which we always have to look for reference. It's like, okay, well, Ariel moves like this, or Aladdin moves like that, and Gargoyle's is like, well, this is brand new. Like, you know, we could do anything almost with it as long as you know, great guys (laughs) approve. So, but yeah, Demona was really interesting for me because you know, she was always this interesting character. She's angry, but she was compassionate, and you're trying to show all these different emotions. And and she was a really cool design as well, you know, that crazy hairdo, and she's always carrying these huge weapons and stuff. So, though she she was my favorite character. So anytime she was in a shot, I was like, oh, that was that was like that was fun for me. That was always the best fun I had. Like um like the Awakenings episode, like where she's you know with a bazooka shooting up the castle and all that. I mean, I was walking around with the studio with this little roll of um like this paper roll uh the cardboard tube taped my arm and just kind of running out of the studio trying to act out her shots you know <laughs> <laughs> people are like what are you doing like, oh you know it's that scene where Demona shooting her bazooka and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh okay you know a lot of some of us did that some of us did, you know, don't do it at all but i mean i like that <laughs> so a lot of times you know you just kind of walk around all like oh yeah i'm, I'm demona her you know but um but yeah that, that was the most fun part i thought i had you know um yeah, it was weird because, like, Japanese animators, especially, they're really different from American ones for another. They're not overly expressive in real life. They're just really quiet. They hunger down. They do their, you know, they draw the shots and clock out. Where I'm the one who goes around. I like talking to people and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Or how should we, you know, how should we make Kimono act in this shot? Or how should we Goliath do this? And, you know, and um, there was a cultural difference, definitely. But I think that was the fun part about that show because. Being the lone American in there, um, I was kind of like the the go-to guy sometimes. They would ask, like, hey, you know, they, they're saying this line. We have, we have a translator that translates all the stuff that all the storyboards and script they get sent to us. But a lot of times things do get lost in the translation. So they'll come to me and say, hey, bro, what does this mean? What is this, Is this the slang? It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that means this or blah, blah, blah. And, um, and that's
5: important you nuances,
6: know, you know. Yeah, yeah, it really is because um, – I mean, it's not like gargles had a bunch of, you know, slangs or things that, you know, pop culture stuff at the time. But but there were times where, like, yeah, there was, they would say something, and then, you know, even if you're, like, an official translator, you wouldn't know what they're trying to say. So, like, you know, I would have to jump in and say, oh, okay, this is what this, this is what Demona's trying to say, or this is what Xanatos is trying to, you know, imply, or blah, blah, blah. Because um, <clears throat> a lot of the animators and stuff, they would... They literally don't know English. They, they, they just get these little printouts of the, what we call timesheets, and they have like, oh, this at this frame, the shape of the mouth is an O or an A or an E. So all the dialogue, you know, all the characters talking you see are... Are just going off this little timesheet. The, the animators don't know what they're saying. What they're so saying, what their yeah, conversation exactly. is. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're flapping their lips, but they don't know what they're saying. So a lot of times, you know, I I'm not an, I not wasn't an official director or anything by any means, but I go back and say, oh, you know what? I know you're going about this, this time chart, this timesheet, but this is what they're really trying to say. Like, oh, okay. And they can go back and adjust stuff and whatnot. But, um, um, you know, that, that was the interesting part of our production.
2: Roy, did you uh, grow up
6: bilingual,
2: or did you uh,
6: when you moved there? No, my um, well, I grew up in Hawaii. My parents are Japanese, like straight from Japan, Japanese. So, and I was born in Hawaii, so I, I got the uh, I had the opportunity to kind of grow up with the Japanese language, even though you know my first language was English, but. Um, I didn't think I would ever use Japanese. I thought, oh, you yeah, know, I'm going to be in America for the rest of my life. You know, well, I don't have to learn Japanese or anything like that. And here I am in Japan, you know, working, <laughs> working on <laughs> Japanese, working on an American show. You know, it kind of messes with your mind a little bit. But, but yeah. Um, so you sort of learned by immersion when you got there? Yeah, pretty much. Um, it's tough because... You know, uh, Greg, I don't know if you've been to Japan, but I, see, if you're a foreigner there, you'd be like, "Oh, Japanese," they're like, "Oh yeah, he's a foreigner." You can make mistakes, with, you know, trying to speak Japanese, whatnot. But in my case, I looked Japanese, but I wasn't from Japan, so it was always this weird, like, "Well, you're Japanese, but you're American." I don't know, you know, it, it was just a weird, in, weird in between. I went there when I was there, but. Um, but that was fun. It wasn't like I was treated bad or anything. But it was. I was kind of always, like I said, I was kind of the go-to guy you know, sometimes when it came to like little weird cultural things like that. Um, and I remember this I one. I think
5: that I think that was that was helpful, definitely on on their end to have someone like that on the.
6: Yeah. Well,
2: helpful on our end.
6: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I
2: didn't even know it, and it was helpful on our.
6: Yeah. End. <laughs> <laughs> I remember this funny story. I, I like to repeat because um, just to tell, tell you guys the, you know some of the behind the stories uh, behind the behind the scenes stories. But um, I think it was in one of the awakenings episodes where um, where Broadway's eating some Chinese food. You know, he's on top of the castle, he's eating you know boxes of Chinese food and stuff. And the, um, the prop designer um, sat next to me in the studio. And the he had these huge pile of books for like American culture or you know whatever. Like you know, he had a, if you had to design a car or a gun or whatever, he'd have these reference books. But um, the one thing he did not have was um, of uh, Chinese takeout containers. So, and this is before this is before Google and the internet. So he he came over one day and said, "Hey, Roy, hey um, do you know what a Chinese takeout box looks like?" I'm like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> well, the script says, you know. Broadway needs to be eating Chinese food and he's supposed to have a spread of Chinese takeout boxes, but I have no idea what they look like. It's like, oh, okay. So I just drew up the simple little Chinese takeout boxes, you know, like here, here, this is what they kinda look like. So, oh okay, great, great. And it went all the way to final. I mean, <laughs> that, that was my only my two cents in the whole, like, you know, product production where I actually designed something. It's like it was a little Chinese container, uh, takeout container. <laughs> <Nice>. But uh, <laughs> it was things hey, like that
2: i didn't even know that but you saved our you saved our hide
6: yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can't imagine if you know something went through and it wasn't even close to what you guys had in mind like what the heck is that now it's like oh no it's unfortunately you know so i was there designing chinese uh food takeout containers <laughs> a
3: little anecdote back in 2002 we had the gathering of the gargoyles convention in williamsburg and you donated headshots of all the major characters, and oh yeah, I, got, I remember that. I got outbid on it really fast, on them really fast. But I remember you, you saying Demona was your favorite to draw. She went for the highest. I believe she was almost a thousand at that auction.
6: Oh, are you serious? Wow. Do you, do you know who went? to? I was yeah. always kind of curious. Oh uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> was so it somebody who? Aaron Wheeler, who became the
3: treasurer at the next gathering of the Gargoyles Convention that I hosted, and then he donated it to the auction there, and I don't know how so paid pay for the costs of the convention. Where it went from that
6: point,
1: yeah.
6: Oh, wow. wow that's, that's interesting. Okay. And, yeah, I don't know where it went <laughs> after that. <but laughs> oh, gotcha. All right. So it might be floating around somewhere out there, huh? <laughs> I did,
5: okay. just, just FYI if- – Aaron is so generous to do that because there's no way I would have given that up. (laughs) 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 Wow. That's fun. Very, very nice of Aaron to do that.
3: Yes. I believe we also have an episode to discuss.
6: That is. I'm I'm
2: really curious. uh, Did you have time to, to rewatch it? Uh, Roy?
6: Yeah. Uh, Jen reminded me that, you know, I was like, Oh, we're going to be talking about, uh, was it Brothers Keeper? Is that what, is that what we're talking about? Talk about yes. yeah, yeah, I I literally just watched it maybe like maybe fifteen minutes ago just to refresh myself. <laughs> um, awesome. I, Do you remember uh, anything specific that you worked on in that episode? Yeah, uh, uh, it's funny. It's um well, I, well, <clears throat> I did the helicopter chase basically when you know, the, um, when hyena guys were chasing after Xanatos. Um, mm-hmm. There is one shot. Okay. Y- y- you guys have heard the whole, you know, the, about the whole hidden Mickey trend and all that. You know, they do a Disneyland or whatever. They, you know, they hide yes. little Mickey, Mickey's yeah. here and there. Um, believe it or not, there is a hidden Mickey in that episode, and I think I got away <laughs> with it. <laughs> 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 so if you guys want to go back frame by frame it, whatever you want to do, I have the actual drawing. It's proof that it's I drew it. Um, That's it should,
5: awesome. I'm gonna but, have to. Relip. watch it again <laughs> okay okay well i'll Me give too. you a hint
6: it's it's um it's when uh, hyenas in her chopper trying to shoot xanatos and there's a monitor up and she, she says like rich man dead man i think you know she's trying to yeah. and you see the monitor she has a little joystick in her hand so anyway long story short a lot of times we don't get designs for for certain props like like for example like the cockpit of the helicopter like we get really vague drawings but sometimes like you know if it's just for one shot the animator has freedom to do whatever they want so I, I designed that cockpit um, that little that little interface with the, the TV and the little dials and stuff so anyway I was drawing and I thought oh wait a minute you know, there was always these you know these animators trying to sneak in little cute things like whatever so I thought oh, why don't, maybe I'll try to hit Mickey. so there's three dials at the Bottom of her console, um, and the one in the middle is a is a is a Mickey Mouse watch, like there's an actual Mickey with two hands <laughs> pointing at pointing at numbers. But that's
1: it, awesome.
6: Yeah, but the thing is, her Haina's hand and her little joystick is covering it up. But for a couple frames, I think she moves it over to the side, so you can kind of see it. But anyway, that, that's a little trivia for you in case anybody. What, wants I, what to. I
2: find particularly hilarious about that mm-hmm. is that um, down the road. I can't even remember which episode, one of the puck episodes. Okay. We actually had this moment where in the script where puck pulls out from like a pocket, the gigantic, um, Mickey mouse. Oh yeah. Uh huh. And then our own legal department wouldn't let us do it. And we're like, what really? And, and they're like, yeah, you can't do that. We're like, (laughs) but it's Disney. <laughs> Who's going to sue it? Disney, yeah. and they're like, they're like, well, you know, this isn't a Mickey Mouse property. This is a, you know, uh, you can't do that. Uh, you know, if we let you do it here, then someone else can do a Mickey Mouse watch. And then, you know, if we tried to sue them for that, yeah, uh, then uh, they use this as evidence. I'm like, but you oh. own it. Yeah, you know. it's your, it's your <laughs> I mean, property. I literally it's your... <laughs> am having this conversation where I'm like, you know, um, you can say we own it so we can do it. You can't do it because you don't own it. And they're like, no, 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 that's not allowed. And it, wow. it was mind boggling to me. I think I must have just repeated the phrase, but you own it yeah. <laughs> 12 times um, in wow. the conversation. And it because and, I couldn't think of any other argument. Um. Yeah, you would think that would and end I think the argument. We did end up, he does end up pulling out a watch. It's just not... It's just generic. Oh, I see.
6: A Mickey Mouse watch. I but, see. Uh, oh, well, did I just get myself into legal but trouble by true. admitting it? But,
5: I- but there's <laughs> other hidden Mickeys. That's not the only one, because on, uh, one of the backgrounds, when they get to Notre Dame, uh-huh. one of the backgrounds on Notre Dame, there are Mickey, hidden Oh, okay. Oh, All right. Well, okay.
6: No, oh, well, all oh, right, yeah. and yeah, there you go. You learn there something you new every day. Yeah, so you do. Late, you know? I'm you just it's gotta working.
5: sneak it by him. Just don't ask legal. Just yeah. <laughs>
6: <laughs> I like the way you think. <laughs>
2: yeah. Wow. Think. Yeah. Me
3: too. One of the things this episode centra- centers on is the relationship between Elisa and Derek, the older sister and the younger, we'll, we'll find out later, middle brother. But um, sure. I was lo- looking at some old development material that I bought on eBay a long time ago, and at one point for a while it seemed like Derek was the older sibling and Elisa was the middle sibling. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, if they had kept that totally different dynamic, I don't even know what this episode would have looked like beyond being structurally the same, but probably very different in a lot of areas.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that a a bit ago to me, and and, uh, my reaction is I have no memory of her ever being anything except the oldest. Um, I just, I believe you. I just, uh, I think from relatively early on, we viewed her as the oldest sibling, and I just have no memory of any thoughts that came before that, and part of that, I'm sure, is that, you know, Elise is the oldest of three. I'm the oldest of three. Down the road, we get the, you know, the Canmore siblings, where uh, Jason is the oldest of three. I think that the oldest of three is sort of my go-to, because that's how I grew up.
1: <laughs>
2: um, but, I'm the oldest uh, of two. I'm sure it existed, but... Uh, I'm sure it existed, but I cannot remember ever, at least ever being the middle child. She was, in my mind, she was always the oldest, but I guess there was a point where we thought, at least considered having her being the middle kid, but I don't remember it.
5: So, like, the whole theme of this one is definitely siblings. Siblings. Like, we're talking about Elisa's siblings, Gargoyle's siblings, you know, like, Mm -hmm. every family and siblings definitely, like, uh, and, and this is the first time we see...
2: Hackle Cackle and Jaina. I can't believe I said that. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, and I, I didn't do it on purpose. It would have been almost clever if I'd done it on purpose. But i That's just where my mouth went.
5: <laughs> yeah, so is that like, you know, even the, our troublemakers uh, in this episode are siblings.
2: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the title and, and uh, that... Obviously, it was very conscious and um, and it was also to some extent, um, you know, we knew where the 13th episode was going. Um, and so we were sort of laying in even groundwork for Goliath for the 13th episode. Um, so even though Goliath doesn't seem to have any siblings in this episode, he makes a big speech about how he misses that. And uh, so there's a be careful what you wish for. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which we'll talk more about I'm sure next next time but uh, but yeah you know the idea uh, and Michael and I were uh, Michael Reeves and I were very conscious of it was okay um, because we could have put Dingo in the episode we could have but uh, we decided no let's just stick with the two siblings uh, Jackal and Hyena (laughs) <laughs> um, and, you know, let's have, uh, you know, Brooklyn, Lexington and Broadway, their rookery siblings, the brothers, uh, and, you know, they were always buddies even back in, you know, the dark ages, but, you know, when you're all you've got, you're spending all your time with somebody, um. You know, your siblings get on your nerves sometimes. And so we' tried to sort of show that and also show that both Goliath and Hudson um, it's a neat trick with Hudson because he has no dialogue in the episode. Um, <laughs> but uh, is sort of show that it's bothering the quote unquote adults that the three kids are are basically, you know treating each other so poorly. And then you have the conflict between, uh, Elisa and Derek and Goliath sort of sitting there going, look, just fix this, fix it. Well, I, I can't for this reason. And Goliath says, screw that reason. Just tell him, tell him about us, you know. Well, that's not going to be enough. And she's coming up with all these excuses. We'll learn more about why Elisa makes these excuses again in season two, but, uh, um, we sort of intentionally left in vague why she's so reluctant to tell anybody about the gargoyles. Um, But Goliath is like, he's your brother. I trust you. He's your brother. So I trust him. Just tell him about us. And she waits so long that it becomes, um, at first, difficult to get a word in edgewise, and then later she's been scooped by Xanatos, who's already sort of, pre-prepped his version of the gargoyles and their story and their relationship so that it's hard for her to get Derek to understand, you know, what she perceives as the truth of the situation because he's already been pre-biased by David.
3: He had complete control of the narrative. (laughs) And even admitted that he made some mistakes. That was a nice touch on his part.
5: Well, you know, it gives him some sympathy, like, uh, like I screwed up. I'm so sorry. You know, so you feel like he's admitting he did something wrong. So it, it like it doesn't make him sound squeaky clean. It makes it sound believable.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean. He's a clever bastard. What do you want? He's the
5: greatest man that ever lived.
3: (laughs) Oh, we'll get to that. (laughs) We're almost there. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) On a personal note, when I first watched this episode, I was a little bit excited when it opened at the Diamond Exchange. I spent the better part of my early youth at the Diamond Exchange on 47th Street. My father had a booth there. He worked in the jewelry business, and um, so it was cool to see. They they even filmed a part of Marathon Man with Lawrence Olivier back in 1976 at what was then his booth.
6: Wow, wow interesting. That's, that's very cool.
3: Yeah. cool. I mean, nothing to do with the episode. I'm sure like, you
2: watched the episode and, and you watched the episode and said, that's just what it's like.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> there
2: weren't enough
3: Hasidic Jews there. <laughs> there weren't enough Hasidic Jews. <laughs> Got it. You know, maybe it was a Friday night.
2: That, that was a note that I forgot to give on the boards that came back. Not enough Hasidic Jews.
3: I am so sorry to any of our Hasidic Jew listeners. I apologize. Yeah. I'm Jewish myself, so... Not Hasidic, though, but... And um, I really feel like we get to know Jacqueline Hyena here. They... what? In their first appearance for the hunt, it was it wasn't a cameo, but I didn't I don't feel like we got that much of a taste of them here until uh, hyena whips out the knife.
2: Yeah, I think that was something again that Michael and I discussed, which is that okay when they were in a group of five, there's only so much screen time you can give to to each of those five, and so they become in their first appearance with the pack. Um, I don't want to say cliches, but, uh, cause I don't think that, but, uh, they're, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word, which is that, um, they're more emblematic. It's like, okay, this is this one, this is this one, you know, you're just getting a taste of each of the five. Um, maybe Wolf and Fox got a little more development in that first episode, just a touch, but you're not going very deep on any of them because you're introducing five new characters all at once in one 22 minute episode that, isn't even really about them. It's about Lexington and Goliath um, and also has a bunch of other stuff to cover. Right. So um, here we're like, okay, let's, let's get to know them better. And specifically, let's see the differences between them. What's the difference between Jackal and Hyena? Um, Are they just, you know, we established they were brother and sister. Are they, you know, just a male and female version of each other, or are they different? And, and so we had discussions about, um, and I may get this terminology wrong. Um, nowadays, I would have, you know, consulted with someone. Back then, we didn't even think to. But, you know, what we discussed back in the day was that Hyena was a psychopath and Jackal was a sociopath, that is. And what that meant to us at the time was that Jackal knew how to fake it. You know, he knew how to operate in normal society without getting called out for what he was, um, whereas Hyena didn't. Hyena just was, you know, ready at a moment's notice to, to murder people um, with not a lot of thought to consequence. And you can sort of see that. In this episode, mm-hmm. you know they're all they're nicely dressed. They're at the they're at the diamond exchange, and this guy just wants her autograph because because she's famous and um, he liked the Pack show that she used to be on, and she just pulls out a knife and nearly cuts his throat. <laughs> At which point, Jackal, who had been preaching patience and preaching calm and all this stuff, well, now it's all hit the fan, right? So he's like, well, can't hide it, so I might as well enjoy myself too. And you see that he's not different from her in terms of what he wants to do. He's just um, learned how to, um, mask it, for lack of a better term, mask it better than she can. And uh, But, you know, if there's no point in masking, then I might as well have, have a good time also.
3: That entire um, scene was censored for years on Toon Disney. It, it starts with the guy asking, that, Were you on the pack? And she says, Why, yes. And then it cuts to Jackal just saying, oh Might as well get in the fun, kicking Xanatos and taking the diamond, which I think kind of makes him look like a psychopath without that context.
2: Oh. oh, they cut out the bit where she pulls the knife. Oh, yeah. really? They censored it. Wow. Wow. <laughs> it's wow, not just Disney. Really Disney that that does really change it. Yeah. Well, it, to, yeah it totally it shifts it like... to
5: him being
6: the instigator. Yeah. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah, I always thought it was just deadly force that got. I know that one got edited, right? For Toon yeah, Disney, it did. the whole. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we worked of, on that. So, um,
3: there were a ton a little of little cuts here
6: and there across the series on. Cable, but on well, I'm, Disney Plus, it's only Deadly Force. Oh, I'm curious. What I mean, just speak from an art point of view. I'm like, what, what exactly do they cut? Like anything with weapons and stuff? Is that what generally a what they of, do? A lot of stuff with weapons. will cut little things
3: like triggers being pulled. I know the entire Coyote sequence, leader of the pack, is heavily censored. We'll talk
6: about. No, that I, I worked in that episode. Yeah.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting.
6: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Speaking of editing, I remember. <laughs> Oh no way! Wow, even even just the word word. Just, wow. Yeah. Yep,
5: just the you word. But that, that was yeah. Was,
6: they, they cut terrorist. Yeah. That is interesting. Wow. Speaking of, I remember one. I don't know, Greg, if you remember this, but in one of the Waking's episode, you know that it was that that it um, was at that, that boat dock, I think, or that you know those those goons were chasing after Lisa, and they, they they trapped her into that little room, and she has she steals one of the guns from one of the goons that uh, she knocked out. Yeah. The I remember initially that that gun that she took off the goon was shaped like an actual like an actual gun, and then you know she uses it to shoot back on one of them and you know hits one of them. And then um, I remember early on that thing got uh, kicked back to us saying that well we have to change the design of the gun because it you know we just can't have uh, the main hero shooting a gun and hitting and showing them getting you know the bad guy getting hit. So. We went back and redesigned the gun, so it looks like this little ray gun now. If you go back and you look at it, it's a really strange design. No, it's, a it dart, it's a dart gun. Yeah, that it's little a dart, so yeah, dart gun thing. Yeah, but uh, it, initially it was like an actual like gun gun. So I remember um, that got kicked back to us, and we had to redraw those little, the little shootout part. But uh, that, that's the only one I remember where we actually had to back up uh, design-wise. But, um, but usually on the 2D... Animation front, you know, redos are kind of rare in that, you know, especially when they start getting to shot production. But um, in 3D, things change all the time. But (laughs) but on uh, 2D, there's it rarely comes to that.
3: Speaking of 2D animation, that scene on the rooftop with the spinning helicopter. There will be another spinning helicopter scene. Later, from I mm-hmm. understand, 2D animation it's really hard
6: to spin things 360 oh, degrees like that. Never mind the amount yeah. of times. Yeah, yeah, because it's and speaking of somebody who's a 3D now, it's so easy to do it in 3D because you have a 3D model, you just spin it, boom, you have your you know you have your spinning helicopter, but. Like I did the helicopter chase in Brothers, you know, the Keeper, and then you know the part where this chopper's spinning around, like you know, when he's trying to regain control. Yeah. I mean, I, I had to hand draw that. I mean, it was like I literally had to, you know, in my mind, you know, turn this helicopter around in my head and you know, draw it, you know, frame by frame. And there was no luxury of, you know opening up your laptop and looking at something with, you know, 3D views or anything like that. It was just, you know, anything that was mechanical, it, it usually was a nightmare to draw. And, and Gargoyles had a lot of it. I mean, cars, helicopters, whatever. <laughs> so in that episode, it was full of helicopters. I and mean, it was kind of a nightmare. because like, hey, Roy likes to draw helicopters. And they have him draw the same thing. No, 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 I don't like drawing helicopters. But, you know, that's... <laughs> that's what it came out came down to me
5: so, so you're their helicopter go-to guy
6: yeah, <laughs> yeah dude, oh even in awakenings you know when they're taking apart bark the castle you know with all those helicopters flying around the trucks you know pulling the that was all me and I was like God damn man, that, I'm not the helicopter guy come on <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah brothers Keepers is all about helicopters so you know like, hey Roy you know you're gonna work on the chase scene oh great okay you know I mean, well, we'll get to that <laughs> helicopter in a moment <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, it's not fun uh, on the production side, trust me. It's it's usually anything that's mechanical, it's it's a very I mean characters are hard enough, but yeah, when it comes to like yeah,
2: vehicles. Well, I mean nowadays, uh even when we do a show like Young Justice, which is, you know, a to the show, mm-hmm. any major vehicle, not just helicopters, certainly helicopters, but not just them, cars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, planes, uh bio ship, you know. Anything that's, uh, you know, uh, a set, consistent, um, fixed shape is done 3D with, with uh, cell shading. You know? Yeah, with uh, shaded on it, right? Yeah, so the,
6: yeah.
2: Right. So it looks like it's 2D. It doesn't jump out if you're doing it.
6: Yeah, it yeah. jump
2: out, and the audience are going, wait a minute, is that a 3D yeah. item in right, the middle right, of my right. 2D show? But, <laughs> yeah, back but, in the day. Uh, but it is.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 um,
2: it's, nowadays, those vehicles in particular are almost always 3D. I mean, not if it's like a parked car or something like that that's not right. moving or anything like that. Right. But, uh, but you know, if you see the, the limo driving down the street and the camera's pulling around it, well, mm-hmm. it's just way too hard to do that in 2D
6: when right. we have the resources now to, to do it in 3 Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, back in Gargles, there was well, there wasn't resources though. Everything was hand drawn. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh yeah, and this and this is you know like I said we we didn't really have much resources because you know it's it was pre-internet. We didn't we couldn't Google what New York streets look like or what a typical American limo looks like or you know so it was always like we had a huge pile of like coffee table. You know, the coffee table books were like, all right, you know, what does what does a typical American car look like or a helicopter look like? And then, you know, and our prop designer would go in there and do his best and try to come up with all the different angles that we animators could use. And it, you know, it was just a, a lot of creative interpreting you know, we did back then. Um, but and now that I look at it, I think, like, wow, we we kind of fooled a lot of people. It's like, you know, not most of us, and we're never even in New York, but we kind of kind of try to piece together this. Whole show that was based in a city that we were never in, you know. <laughs> you did a magnificent job, Full <laughs> team. <Yep. laughs>
3: I'm a New Yorker, trust me. I've, I yeah. how Sanders how the city is depicted. You did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> and I really like that scene where Elisa and Derek are both talking to their parents. With the juxtaposition of those scenes, the advice that is being given. Ironically, I think Diane is giving the best advice, even if she doesn't have all of the information that is there. But I,
5: I feel like they went both went to the parent that would be more sympathetic to what they were pitching, kind of thing, <laughs> for advice. Like she, of course, Elisa went to her dad. He was the one that was on the force, you know. Like he's um, he's going to side with her on the the whole stay stay a police officer thing, and you know. So I feel like they. They separated going to who would favor their view the most.
3: By the way, I find Peter's argument argument. about staying in the family business ironic, considering considering what we later learn about him.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think the idea, again, that Michael and I were working towards is that um, Diane's advice is correct it's just ironically awful because we know the truth about Xanatos that neither Diana or Derek. know. Um, I also think that, yeah, it goes to character for the parents too, because, you know, when you think about, um, Diane Mazza's wife, you know, she had a husband who was a cop and that's scary. You know, you never know when you're going to get that, knock on the door in the middle of the night. And then, you know, you that multiplies exponentially when your daughter becomes a cop and then your son becomes a cop. And suddenly there are three sources of where that late night knock on the door might come. Um, So the notion that her son might actually get out of that business is probably a huge relief to her. But she's still saying the right thing. She's not saying, oh, thank God, I never wanted you to be a cop. Um, uh, She's saying, look, you've got to do what's right for you. And that in fact, the correct advice. And Elisa goes through the episode. We did this very, you know, with intention that we love Elisa, but she's wrong here. She's wrong, you know, at almost every level. It's just that she knows Stuff that the rest of her family doesn't know. But the fact that she's reluctant to share that doesn't help her case. Um, and so she's wrong about telling Derek what he should and shouldn't be doing um, as opposed to just giving him the information so that he can decide. And she and her father are wrong about you know, trying to push Derek. I mean, Dad even says, hey, use," the-, and he's wrong about this too, but you know, use guilt. Tell him it'll kill his mother if he does this. You know, <laughs> and then mom's like, "Yeah, of course you should quit." You know, um, so you know, even if he had been right, even if mom had been, you know, like, "Oh no, I really think you should stick with the police." The fact that Peter is sitting there saying use guilt on your brother—that's not a good thing. <laughs> They're completely wrong um but i think you're right Jen they each went to the parent who would be most sympathetic to to their point of view and meanwhile Goliath is standing back there going what the fuck are you doing just tell him the truth you know um, she does know try to tell him she's though read she read the line but yeah she does, <laughs> she does try, try to but tell but him waits.
5: twice and he like cuts her off both times like just as she's about to get to the meat of it he cuts her off right
3: I think she could try it a little bit harder the first time, though. But uh, <laughs> although I do I have think a question, them- say so, yeah, I do have a question. As a New Yorker, I've always wondered: where is the Mazza House? Is it Queens, Brooklyn, the Bronx? It's
2: not in Manhattan.
6: <laughs> no, it's, it's probably it's, prob- it's probably from one of our coffee books, Greg.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know that we ever set the answer to that. I'd have to like go back and look at an old script to see if we wrote down what it was. But it's clearly, you know, um, I mean, it's clearly outside Manhattan. Uh, it, it could be Staten Island. It could be Queens. Um, it's probably Queens, I guess. Certainly back then it wouldn't have been Brooklyn. So it's probably Queens. You know, it might be Forest Hills near uh, Aunt May's house. I don't know. <laughs> there you
3: go. Um, there you go. They went to school together. <laughs> <laughs> next radio play
6: <laughs> I, I do have a question question for you Greg, Greg uh, the other Greg actually um, since you say you're a New Yorker and stuff like I mean you know that production was all, all mostly done in Japan and you know we most of us have never been to New York but were there any shots or scenes or episodes you're like man this is just so way off this is just not New York or like were there I mean, I'm always curious because we never gotten any real time feedback like that where like you know fans would Talk about the episode like this, where you know, because a lot of times when we did those, you know, we drew those episodes, we sent it off, and that's it. We would never hear about it again. But now that with the internet and you know, or you know, like talking to you, like now, you know, now I can actually hear the feedback of you know of, of you know how you guys feel about each episode. But were there any? Thing that stood out specifically with this episode, or any other episode, like if
2: there were, Roy's going to go back and fix it right now.
6: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now let me get back with you. Let me redraw that scene for you. You know, like, oh God, this is just this is not New York, or my God, you guys got that building so wrong, or you know, was there anything like that? I'm I'm, I'm sorry, I'm asking a question for the people are asking questions, but you <laughs> know, right. um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Never on
3: this show, ever. It always felt very authentic. Even the episodes where they weren't done by Walt Disney Television Japan, they were done by another studio. I mean, we huh. watched Enter Macbeth a few weeks ago, that episode had some lousy animation, but it still felt like <laughs> New York. Whereas okay. I can think of uh-huh. another show, I'm uh-huh. not going to name this show, where, um, the, where uh-huh. Times Square was practically three blocks away from the World
6: where the World Trade Center was. Oh God. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. Well that's good to know. And honestly, it's it's yeah. it's something that's always been bothered me over the years because like I said, we really had no very good reference material and all we had were these huge books, picture books of New York and that's all we based it all of, you know, like even things down to like at Galicia's apartment what should it look like you know we just kind of whip something up and like all right this is probably what an, a typical New York apartment looks like or whatever but you know a lot of times for me was like god are we even close to what you know it's supposed to look like and you know obviously there's, you know there's an approval process down the road but I mean it's we're always curious as artists like well you know do we catch the flavor of you know do we catch the mood of these you know these scenes or are we off totally off but uh, that's good to hear
3: <laughs> you did and at the time for me especially it made the show feel a bit more prestigious than a lot of other mm. action cartoons that were on at the time i mean there were plenty that took place in new york but very few of them mm-hmm. ever felt like new york mm. this one did okay all right oh, that's good time huh? okay i guess i'll say it that scene in the locker room <laughs> Uh, that's, all, that's all I have
6: to say. That scene in the locker room.
5: Matt Stone wears tidy whities,
6: and yes, we have reference material for that as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> if you guys are planning to ask that question, yes, we, did. we, we do have the same are underwear. They tidy whities,
2: or were they pale blue? I, I see
6: Well, the they were kind of a pale blue, but you know, yeah, you, you know. can't make
1: white
6: right, right. white. You know, he washed them with yeah. his socks. Yeah, he washes with a blue shirt.
5: I like how Morgan though is the only one that's like, could you back off a little, Elisa? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like,
6: everybody else is like, yeah, no one else. All Everybody's right. just running in for the cover except
5: Morgan, who's like, could you, <laughs> could you not?
2: You know, the reason for that is because the only actor we had on the cast who could do that one liner was Keith, too, who plays right. Morgan. Otherwise, we'd have to like recruit Real. another actor, and we can't afford that. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Morgan gets to speak because Keith plays Morgan, and he's already in the episode playing Goliath.
6: There you
5: go. Doing his double duty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I, lo- I love how she tells them to close their close their eyes. <laughs> She's coming in to the lot. The the. Guys' locker room, and she tells them to close their eyes, and I, that's hilarious <laughs> to me. I just, I love that she's part def- of her. Yeah,
6: she's but very she much in control of the situation. Very, it was a very Jennifer thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: yes, yeah. I'm sure I was thinking of you when we wrote that.
5: I know you were, <laughs> even though you didn't know me then. I know you were. Not
2: yet, but soon Not- it was coming. I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for everything I put you through. <laughs> <laughs>
3: meanwhile i hope none of the male cops get the idea of going to the women's locker room there i don't think it will end as well for them all
2: right well that uh, move move on
6: greg move on <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, you No,
6: know, earlier we were talking about things that got taken off because of tune juice and go but did that part get edited out or did that stay in do you know i believe it stayed in <laughs> I'm okay, sure so they're okay good. with tidy whities then. All right. They're they're not good with knives, but they're okay with showing people in underwear. All right. You know,
5: wearing just a towel, got just your underpants on, that's okay. Yeah, okay. A lot of know, knife straight
6: to, no, to edit. Oh, yeah, yeah, straight to the editing floor, man. I can't have that. All the full yeah. frontal nudity. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna get yeah, canceled. It, Let's
2: move fun. on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right, Um, I do like that action sequence, and the, every time I watch it, I, I'm thinking, okay, the trio go in there with intent, maybe not necessarily intent, but I don't think they realize that Hyena was wearing a parachute when they
6: threw her, or cared.
5: Do they even <laughs> know what a parachute is? <laughs> so
6: yeah, when I w-
5: Chucking people off the the helicopter
6: yeah thing. like i i drew that sequence basically and then that believe it or not that's exact same question i still remember even though it was almost 30 years ago i remember asking that question it's like they're they're killing these guys right i mean they're just throwing them out of the helicopter and they don't know anything about parachutes or anything like that so of course eventually you know they i had to draw in the parachute scenes but i mean like yeah they went in their full intent with killing them i mean <laughs> yeah. they're ripping up they're. they're they're ripping the canopy off and just throwing them out like, um, OK, well, boy, this is pretty really violent. I mean, I, mean yeah. I
2: think that the idea is that, you know, it's medieval sensibilities, which is that um, the, these two, Jacqueline Hyena, are trying to kill Alicia's brother. And right. So that, in essence, makes it fair game to, right. uh, you know, they're not. It's not like they flew up at a helicopter that was minding its own business. They were right, 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 taking uh, clear would-be murderers and mm-hmm. uh, and saying you forfeited your right to live. Mm-hmm. And fortunately for the show, Jackal and Hyena are better prepared than that. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I I do think they were Just thinking. Yeah, I'm throwing you off. A high, you know, the great yeah, heights. So. I expect you to go flat, <laughs> right? And then you don't, and it's like,
6: huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. It it, it felt. It, it felt like those old GI GI Joe episodes. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever watched those old ones, but like yeah. every time you know, a, a plane crashes, a helicopter, you know, there's always they always show a guy in a parachute. A parachute. You know? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then I, I still remember, like, oh, okay, there it is. There's there's a little safety net. This is also going to get past the sensors. We're just going to glide them down on parachutes
5: every time that when they attack that that helicopter every time I watch it I cringe like I'm I'm like there's blades right there the helicopter blades oh
6: yeah and I had to draw around those things because we couldn't just have them glide attack up those to the oxygen kids yeah you have to like get under it and like you know and plus they glide on air it's so, like oh you think about the physics well, guys, that so, was, like, that you know. became the
2: whole thing with Kenner
6: I mean the mm. whole reason that our relationship
2: with Kenner soured uh, on our end, uh, at least, was because of the, that helicopter. In other words, Kenner was like, we want a Gargoyles helicopter. And we're like, that makes no sense. They fly. Why would they? <laughs> well, oh. we've changed it so that they glide, not fly. So if we want a Gargoyles helicopter, that'll be a big price point you know, uh, item for us to sell. Mm. And so you know, we wrote this entire episode um not com- simply for this purpose, but in part to create this helicopter um, that none of us wanted, um, but to do a gargoyle-themed-styled helicopter. So we took Jacqueline Haynes helicopter, we semi-crashed it, right? So it's damaged enough that Lex has to rebuild it, and then we rebuild it with all these...
6: You know, with window with gargoyle wings
2: motif. Yeah. yeah, gargoyle wings and the smoke. Yeah, smoke I remember chief, that right?
6: mm-hmm.
2: And and then only for Kenner to say to us after the fact, you know, we tried to do the helicopter thing, but uh, the gargoyle wings on the toys are, are so big that it, you know, we couldn't could get the helicopter blade. <laughs> get those gargoyles in the helicopter without the wings getting away with of the helicopter blade. So we're just not doing that toy. This is you know, something they decided months earlier but neglected to mention to us.
1: Ah of course we
2: jumped through hoops to create this Gargoyles helicopter. So, you know, we talked earlier this season about the Gargoyles motorcycle and that's just blowing it up and stuff like that. And it's just sort of like we wound up with this sort of and I think on both sides it's sort of frustrating the counter relationship because of their desire to have more and more vehicles and more and more things that wasn't inherent to the show. And then we do things for them and then they would wind up not following through on things that they had demanded mm. to put in the show. And that level of frustration made our relationship, which had started out extremely positive, um, just more and more tense as the, as the second season in particular, uh, Continued on and and uh, and then, you know, uh, Power Rangers came in big in season two. And so suddenly it was like, why are we doing these toys? They're not selling as well this year as they were last year. And, you know, again, with sort of the hindsight that I have now, I look at that helicopter and go, that helicopter was kind of cool. We probably should have done more with it. Um, you know, we, since we went to the trouble of creating it, we then just never see it again. Like Lexington parked it somewhere and we never bothered doing anything with it ever again. And in a way it's kind of a shame because, you know, mostly, yeah, they're just flying around Manhattan. They gliding around, they, they don't need it, but we could have done more stuff with it, but we were so annoyed (laughs) and (laughs) resentful you know collectively Frank and Michael and I you know just sort of like you made us do it now you're not making the toy and and that we just were like fine we're just never going to use it again oh man and that's one of those decisions that you know now I look back on and go okay That's kind of very immature. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And then on the other hand, you know, Michael's argument was always like, we shouldn't be doing this helicopter at all. Like uh, my memory is, is that Michael was sort of the voice of let's not do it at all. Let's just mm -hmm. refuse. And I was like, no, no, we got to do it. And then, um, and then, you know, so he did and he did as good a job with it, um, from Mm -hmm. a script standpoint as anyone could have. And then it looks Fairly cool and everything. And then, you know, they never made it. To which, you know, Michael's attitude was like, see. <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> Told you. Well, they're
5: just a planter.
2: So, you know, he never wanted it in the first place. So there was not, not a lot of incentive on our part to use it again. Uh, none of us really wanted it but I think now that, okay, that was an asset. We went to the trouble of creating and we even sort of got the audience at least a little bit invested in the idea of it. And then, you know, it just vanishes. It's never even mentioned again, which is not really our show. Our show never sort of wasted stuff. You know, you'd meet some jogger in central park and he'd show up three or four more times, you know, but you know, you go to the trouble of creating this helicopter and, and no, you know, never see it again. Mm-hmm.
5: But kudos to Lexington, who can, in one night, completely fix a crashed helicopter.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> he is talented. He is Very. so good.
3: <laughs> Ironically, if Kenner had made pack toys for the gargoyles to fight,
6: they could have had a pack helicopter for the gargoyles to fight. There you go. Could have
1: had they, would a have them,
6: they would have put my hidden Mickey in the in that helicopter if they did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> then I would really give him credit. (laughs) Yes.
3: (laughs) Meanwhile, NECA is doing stuff for the collectors nowadays without any of these we need to sell vehicles stuff and I really like what they're doing.
5: Yeah, they're doing some pretty good stuff.
0: Gargoyles will return. When they come alive, evil can't survive. Gargoyles Disguised as a gargoyle, the evil Xanatos swoops into attack, but mighty Goliath breaks free, Lexington fires, and heroic Brooklyn charges into battle on the Rippin' Rider Cycle. Get him! And Xanatos is stunned, and Goliath flies in to unmask him. you, Xanatos! And gargoyles come alive. Evil can't survive. Gargoyles eat so separately. Night falls. Adventure calls. We are Gargoyles. We live, we soar, we fight. We are Gargoyles, protectors of the night. When darkness falls, evil drives and stone-cold statues come alive. Goliath, Brooklyn, Lexington, we are gargoyles. Evil, Sanatos, deadly trouble. Watch to smash us all to rubble. The night brings light! We are gargoyles, we race, we roar, we ride. When gargoyles come alive, evil can't survive. We are gargoyles. Each soul separately. Night falls. New adventure calls! We are gargoyles. Wind blast against the night. We are gargoyles and we've just become a fight. Hunted by Evil Macbeth. He'll hunt us till our final breath. Gargoyles quake. Gargoyles, gargoyles away. Fighting bronze comes alive. Power Wing Goliath makes a power die. And mighty Rogue Goliath eyes ablaze. Screams his rage. Yeah, When gargoyles come alive, evil can survive. Gargoyles. Figures in place and each sold separately. Batteries not included. Night falls. New adventure calls. We are gargoyles, striking through the night. We are gargoyles, and we're climbing to new heights. Dark Demona's out to slay those she loved but did betray. The Night Striker on full attack with battle rocket answers back. Climbing the lion rises high as Hudson lets his big sword fly. We are gargoyles, when gargoyles come alive, evil can't survive. We are gargoyles. Figures and Night Striker vehicle each sold separately. We now return to gargoyles.
3: I think that brings us now. Well, fun little references to Star Wars and Star Trek, both from Brooklyn, I, which actually is kind, kind of, of rare DuckTales. for and Ducktales, which is actually kind of rare for this show because you don't you reference the classics a lot, but you didn't reference pop culture a lot, which ultimately I think was a good thing because that can date a show. But if someone was going to reference pop culture, it was going to be Brooklyn. Yes, definitely. Well, Trek and Wars are also timeless. So is DuckTales. DuckTales. Oh, yeah. I think we need to...
5: You got to sing it, man. You can't just say DuckTales. You got (laughs) to (laughs) go... Are
6: we talking about the new one or the old one?
5: The old one.
6: Oh, good.
5: Classics are the best. Plan, all
6: right. <laughs> just, just, just making sure.
3: That's true. Although the new one
6: had Keith David as sort of Goliath at one point. <laughs> oh, man. My f- friend who works with me at, at Digital Domain, he's also a, a, a Disney fan. He goes, Roy, have you watched a new DuckTales? Like, no, no, I don't really watch it. He goes, no, 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 no. If you like Gargoyles, I mean, you to work on it. You got to check out this one episode. Was like, what the hell are you talking about? So. Well, when, when, all when the watch Gargoyles
5: watch? fans tuned in for that one. Yeah,
6: they're like, you got to watch DuckTales. Like, what the hell are you guys all talking about? I'm like, okay, I'll watch it. Like, oh, oh, okay, now I get it. That was pretty nice. <laughs> I think it was so, more than... Oh, sorry. No, no, it was just that theme song when it, you know, when it cranked up. Like, <laughs> oh, man, I haven't heard that in, like, 20-some-odd years. That was pretty nice. <laughs> good. Yeah.
5: So Elisa gives up and goes to visit Fox with the full intent of recording her to give it to Derek, knowing right. that Fox will spew all this information. So that's where we get, like, like she is complete idol-worshipping him through that whole conversation, how great he is, and you're so far behind him, it's not even funny, and, you know, just... Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, that was the moment when uh, we recorded it. Uh, I sort of had this. I mean, we got in the script, you get that she admires Dan. she works for him. She admires him. But when I heard it recorded, I'm like, oh, she's in love with him. Laura
5: Sangiacomo acts the hell out of that little bit that she has in that. In-
2: yeah. Mm-hmm. And, like you're feeling and that moment, it, I mean, again, one of the things that we, you know, we planned a lot on this show, obviously. Um, but we also really strove to leave ourselves open for discovery. So, you know, like the previous episode, um, Archmage was a throwaway villain, right? No, no, no. He's interesting. Let's do something with him. But that discovery came in the record, you know, because of, uh, how great David Warner was playing this little throwaway villain. And here it was like, Oh yeah, she admires Nana She works for him. She admires him, blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I get it now. She's in love with him. And that obviously led to entire storylines for us that we had not thought of until we recorded those lines. Um, And now it seems obvious. I mean, you watch it, and of course she's in love with him. It's so clear. But when we wrote that script, we did not know that. (laughs) Um, uh, We uh, just discovered it. Um, And it's, uh, you know, for me, as a novice producer, that was one of, you know, the revelatory moments for me about, making television was that idea that you need to be open to all the creators on your team at every level at every moment, because you never know where you're going to discover something that is just going to open up your world, the world of the show. And no matter how much you plan, you've got to stay open to that stuff. Um, And so that was just that recording session was this, again, this kind of really revelatory moment for me. Um, And, you know, I used to break down all the scripts with our voice director, Jamie Thomason beforehand. And I'm sure I said something along the lines of, yeah, she really admires him. She thinks he's incredible, you know, a little bit of hero worship there. And then Laura just took that to another level. And, um, that just really, uh, caught us off guard in an incredibly positive way, obviously.
3: She's one of the most underrated think, voice actresses on the show. I mean, like you just said, her performance there pretty much changed the course of where the show was headed.
2: Yeah. I mean, it really did. I mean, one reason she's underrated is that her agent wouldn't let her be credited. But, um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, she did a fantastic job. She, and she was so fun in the booth. It was great. Mm-hmm.
6: That's always good to hear. Speaking of voice actors, sorry, I know that word. Um, I met up with Kath Susie a couple of years ago. Um, I was helping direct this video game cinematic and we ended up hiring a bunch of American voice actors. And we got to choose. Um the uh, actors and actresses, and then Kath um, Susie's is one of them. And then we needed this child voice, this girl. And I, I remember I think she voiced a character in Rugrats or something. So, but I remember um, she was also she was Princess, right, And, on um, gargoyle. So I thought, oh yeah, we should hire her. And you know, she, she she's up to it. And she she joined it. She she joined our our, uh, our project. And then um, you know, she she was in the booth and helped direct her a little bit. And then afterwards, when we we're done, I I said, hey. Um, do you remember the show Gargoyles? Like, oh yeah, of course. And you know, and then I told me yeah, I was one of the animators on the show. And oh, she just like lit up. You know, I, I don't know what it is about this show, but the, men, the minute you mentioned the people are just like, yeah, oh, I love that show. I loved working on it. Or what? Anyway, but Cassusu was great, and you know, we just it was only for a few minutes, but we chatted. And that's cool.
1: Like, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, nice.
6: Yeah, it was just one of those roundabout like, oh yeah, well, no, she, she's yeah, she's, she's so, wonderful. She, really she is, is. She is she's super a talented. Person. Yeah. And then she ended up doing this girl character for us. And, uh, you know, and there were a couple of scenes where she got super emotional. She had to cry and all that. But and she was like full on bawling, like for real in, in the booth. I'm like, oh, boy, here we go. You know, but uh, but she was really professional. And then as soon as it was done, you know, we talked a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cole Cargos, I love that show. It was fun. And then Anyway, sorry I didn't mean to sidetrack the conversation no, that's here. Awesome. But that's but, Exactly you know,
5: what we love to hear.
6: Yeah, it's just these little things. You're, you know, Gargoyle seems to have this whole connection even along, among the pros. You know, people are like, oh yeah, I watched that show. I worked on it. Oh, I love doing the, the voice of or whoever. You know, and um, anyway, Cat Susie was definitely one of them. <laughs>
3: I really like that entire last sequence at Xanadu. It's a really great action sequence. But before we get into that, I've noticed that there's some nitpickers who love to say, oh, Xanatos isn't as brilliant as the show wants us to think he is. If the, if the gargoyles hadn't arrived the exact second they did, Hyena would have put a bullet in him. And I'm thinking, A, he probably had a contingency, and you know what, maybe the guy is willing to put his own life on the line for the scheme to succeed. I don't know, Greg, what do you think?
2: Uh, You know, all of the above. I mean, I think he's, he takes risks. He's always willing to take risks, but yeah, I I think he's always got contingency plans in mind. Um, I I love that the place is named Xanadu, I think that's probably a Michael Reeves invention. I just find that hilarious. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, uh, Kublai Khan um, or Charles
3: Foster Kane,
2: Both. You know, I just, you know, of course Xanatos has a place named Xanadu. It's, it's just.
5: Perfect. What else would you
2: it? I mean, so it's all, all good. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like that, uh, sequence. I, I love how, uh, I mean, I think the action sequence is great, but mostly what I love is uh, how it ends. Um, which, you know, that scene where Goliath takes everyone to task. Um, I love that. And then the snow starts to fall, and Elisa sort of admits her, uh, you know, what she's been wrong about and everything like that. And it's, uh, I don't know, I, it felt like a really strong ending to the whole endeavor. And then you go to the clock tower and every all the gargoyles go to sleep. And at least sort of left standing there with the snow coming down. There's a melancholy sense to that, that I don't think a lot of cartoons were doing in the nineties. You know? No, no it's sort of ending on this kind of melancholy note of, you know, did we save them? We're not sure. You just don't know. I mean, uh, We won, but we lost, but we
5: kind of won, but we kind of lost.
2: Yeah, I mean, Jack Mahane are captured, uh, and uh, they'll go to prison, blah, 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 but the point was to save Derek. Did we save him? Will he listen to that tape? You know, and you just don't know. I always kind of
3: thought he did listen to it, but that he was
2: a little bit arrogant enough to think, oh, I could handle this. I think that, it, you know, one of the great things about that is the ambiguity, so I'm going
3: to let
1: I everyone
2: decide. Can... Mm-hmm. <laughs> what did was whisper to Fox? <laughs>
3: no ambiguity is great, I agree. <laughs> Although, I'm looking at the, when I looked at the animation for this scene, and this is for Roy, I liked how how the uh, colors and the lighting were contrasting. This is one of the darker scenes, while also one of the more brilliant mm-hmm. Lit scenes and famously, Batman: The Animated Series was animated on black paper. And uh, did this happen mm-hmm. here in sequences like that? Uh, how do you do a sequence like that?
6: Well, <laughs> for starters, anything with snow is always hard to to render like in 2D because you know you're playing with a lot of whites, and then you know in in like gar- Gargles where everything's potentially very dark it 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 really messes up with the composition of a shot because like you're trying to show all this bright snow but you know there's a lot of dark characters the sky's black and um we didn't do anything special like um you know like the batman series like um because like uh in gargoyle's case we didn't really experiment Frank and didn't, i didn't want that yeah we didn't I don't remember experimenting right. in Aladdin we did some experimenting with like different color cells and stuff like that just to give like we it was ironically a, a snow episode in Aladdin where we tried using different color lines and stuff for cells. but in 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 that episode of uh, Gargoyles no we didn't do anything special but it was just basically you know the paint department being really good with their colors and you know making sure things read because you have such a strong contrast of that lights and darks lighting was awesome um, yeah, and then again, it's 2D and it's not like 3D where you can oh yeah, we'll just throw an interactive light in there and you know, light it up. It's like no, this is 2D. You have to know what it looks like before you put a you know a pencil down or a paintbrush down. So, and like I said, these these snowshots are often really difficult um, to to show convincingly, even in a cartoon like this. So, uh, but that's that's great to hear. I <laughs> just just hearing this uh, you know the feedback from you guys because again, we never we artists we never get. Feedback from these episodes, um, especially back, you know, show we did in the '90s, where <laughs> there was no, there is no internet or YouTube, you know, comment section or anything, here where you know, fans are, you know, responding to how these episodes um, are. Can't, and, you can't uh, go
5: see the ratings on IMDb or anything. N- no, it was <laughs> none like we, of
6: that we, was there. Yeah, we we ship it all up back to Greg. And that's it. That's the last we hear of it. And if I'm lucky, maybe a relative or somebody in Hawaii records it off on their VHS and sends me the tape or something. That was the extent of, you know, seeing my own work, which is, it was kind of sad because, you know, it's, 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 a lot of times it's just we work on it and we move on. We don't see it, you know, but, um, but hearing how you guys are responding to like stuff like the yeah, like the snow stuff, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, I've never really gotten feedback from any of that, but, uh, um, yeah, good to hear. And there
2: are a lot of great, I mean, also all those lighting effects, you know, um, were all really great. Yeah, I'm done in two D, it's, it's hard stuff. But uh, you know, Jeff and Hyena are wearing uh, night vision goggles, ah, uh-huh. and then and then Lex shines the the helicopter spotlight right in their eyes, and so they're in essence blind for the rest mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. for the rest of the fight. Um, Retinas are overrated. But anyway. all this great, all this great lighting throughout it, you know, uh, as Jen was saying, it's great
6: contrasts and yeah, bright lights, darkness, all this sort of stuff. Um, usually, it came down to our, we basically have a you know a painting department, and it's usually one or two people that supervise it, and they're the ones that control the in the colors and the contrasts and then literally right next to our painting department is the the background department and they they usually work hand in hand because obviously you know the backgrounds have to match the colors and they use on the cells and stuff so it's kind of like its own little department so when for example like the snow stuff you're talking about like you know the background artist has to work with the cell shaders and make sure everything kind of works as one and it's a really laborious process and then when you start mixing special effects like lights and stuff like that then we also have an effects guy who literally was just this one guy that used to work with us and he'll handle anything from like you know water lights and waves and everything you know it, it's just one guy who did everything and, and unlike 3d where like say oh there's a spotlight and then okay well that means they have to find a way to show that in 2d where it's just like cutting a hole in the cell and you know putting a light behind it when they're filming it or you know it's a lot of old school techniques but it's it's very laborious and that 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 episode i remember being well it was a lot of hard work <laughs> Snow and helicopters and whatnot is a very, it was a very effects heavy show. Uh, effects well, for problems. what it's worth, it shows. I mean, it, it
2: shows. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's all up there on the screen. You know, all that hard work paid off. Mm-hmm.
6: It's mm-hmm. there.
5: It's a beautiful episode, it really is.
6: Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. It really was. Well, except for the spinning helicopters. God, that drew <laughs> And and, and make, to make it worse, I still it just I just got some flashbacks. I think Xanatos' chopper had like an actual like Xanatos logo on the side with like it has the yeah. word like Xanatos on it. So when that thing's spinning around three hundred and sixty degrees, you have to draw that logo spinning around three hundred and sixty degrees. I remember hating doing that and every, every time Xanatos' chopper showed up, it's like, oh my god, dude. Can it just be something I simple? I guess the like sense a, that Roy's having some PTSD over there. <laughs> I, I was telling Jen, I was like, okay, I hope you're okay with me trying to remember all these 30-year-old memories. I, I hope it don't go down the, the wrong road here.
5: <laughs> it's coming back a little too hard,
6: hard huh? Yeah, it's like, oh, God, I hated that show. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure uh, Santa's no, always appreciates your efforts yeah <laughs> that's good but yeah it's uh no his 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 stuff was really fun to work on um yeah you know, i mean even xana too as a character just the drama stuff he was uh he was an interesting character design wise too he's you know he has a lot of clean lines very sharp very clean characters so like in the awakenings is when i drew with you know when he was getting all beat up when the castle was falling apart and all that i mean i, I drew Xanathus in those epi- in those in that episode but it was like it was really interesting he's a He's a fun character to draw as well. It's very big contrast from Demona, who's you know has a lot of sharp angles and you know spiky hair, and you know she got the wings and the tail, and you know Xanathus is this clean cut guy with a suit. You know, it's a uh, yeah, he was another fun character to draw. Yeah. I have a question.
5: Fox's eye is it tattoo? Is it makeup? Is it
3: a birthmark? It's
2: a tattoo. It's a, it's a tattoo. tattoo. I don't oh, think yeah. they were giving her makeup
3: in prison. <laughs> uh, a couple of years ago, I uh, posted a screenshot of her on my personal Facebook, and I asked, and I said, Fox is hardcore. And how many of you would get a face tattoo? And then Greg Guler and Frank Parr, who I'm friends with on Facebook, commented, and uh, Greg Guler said, not a tattoo, and then Frank said that he thought it was a birthmark, especially considering her later heritage, and that she may have... Tattooed it later to make it more symmetrical, but um, and then Greg Euler kind of clarified that back then Disney wouldn't allow tattoos, so they would say at the offices it's a it's makeup.
6: Ah, there we go again. Oh, they may have well. had
2: all they may have had all these rationales, but I'm telling you, it's a tattoo. I <laughs> it was it was flat
5: out. Well,
2: you heard they it. They can right.
5: rationalize what? it however <laughs> they need to, but it's a
2: tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> I mean maybe some point some executive said w- what is that and Greg said oh uh, you know it's just makeup oh okay that's alright
0: but you know we can't do
2: <laughs> tattoos uh, but no one ever actually asked me um, and I might have been stupid enough to say it's a tattoo and they would have said
0: no 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 you know but it never happened
2: <laughs> I like it oh. I like that it's a tattoo it means Fox by the way is my, bad- my badass bad- and hardcore <laughs> yeah that's exactly <laughs> she was hardcore. She was committed to her persona. <laughs> guys, on. I've I've got to wrap this up pretty quick. On my, all right, you well, guys uh, can keep talking, but I've got.
3: All right, Greg, do you have anything you want to plug before you go? This will be going up on June tenth. 10th.
2: June tenth 10th, uh, on. Uh, oh, cool. June 9th, so just yesterday the uh, final episode of uh, Young Justice Phantoms uh, appeared for the first time, dropped on uh, HBO Max, so if you haven't seen it yet please go see that and all of season four uh, and for that matter, all of seasons one, two, and three, and it means that within a month uh, the new companion comic book canon to the series, uh, Young Justice Targets Will begin uh, coming out also in June and July. Uh, six issue miniseries uh, set after, just after Phantoms, but with flashback sequences that go all the way back to season one. That's written by me and uh, uh, penciled and inked by uh, Christopher Jones, who worked on the show this season as a storyboard revisionist and is currently a storyboard artist on the Harley Quinn show. And who obviously is one of the main pencillers of the original, uh, Young Justice companion comic from, uh, that we did back during season one and two of the series. And, and, uh, the colors are by Jason. He did, yes. And the colors are by Jason Wright. So if you've seen those promotional posters this season, uh, on the internet, uh, those were, Laid out by Brandon Vietti, uh, penciled and inked by Chris. And, uh, the colors were by Jason Wright. So Jason stepped off those promotional posters right into doing covers and pages of, uh, Young Justice Target. Um, and Roy, uh, I just want to tell you how great it was to talk to you tonight and, uh, yeah, likewise. Uh, I- Hear your stories, and I, I'm sorry I have to run, but I've got no, I've got
6: to, we got to do we should do this again soon. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I like that idea. Uh,
6: yeah, got more stories. So right. next time we'll we do it, got drunk. To
2: keep talking, but I got to get going.
6: Uh, all right, all right. right. Get, get out have of good, here. Bye. Have a good night, Greg. All right, Greg, I'll talk to you soon. Yeah,
3: all right. About that young justice finale, which quote unquote aired yesterday, I think making Dick Grayson a robot was a creative misstep.
5: <laughs> You're such a dork. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. I had I. This is something I really am, am curious about. Uh, okay. Just if they brought back gargoyles today uh-huh. as an animated project. Okay. Um, continuation of how it was. What would be different about how the process would go b- compared to? back in the
6: nineties? Oh, wow. Okay. What all has changed? Boy, that is a really interesting question. It's funny because my, uh, my wife and I were talking about that once in a while. I I think you remember my wife, uh, Michelle or Kiva is the name she used to go by. But, you know, we often talk about like, yeah, what if they restarted this, this, this series? Like how would they do it? Would they be able to do it? Um, well, for one, I mean, I've been in production for so long, and usually the way these things work is that sometimes you just get the perfect storm of cool talent at the time, and they happen to just land on this one project, and it works perfectly well, and that's why you get what you get, so... Technically, I guess, you know, you could start up another Gargoyle series. You find another studio. I mean, Disney Japan, of course, doesn't exist anymore. Um, but, I mean, like, you would find somewhere else and, you know, have maybe Greg write this episodes, you know, get a strong team. Um, but it would be I, – I don't know. I'm just not a fan of, like, sometimes rebooting stuff that's been done for so long because the, you, you kind of – Start with these expectations like, oh, so it's just going to be exactly like the way we, you know, it left off or whatever. And then it just becomes either the greatest thing on earth or it just becomes this huge disappointment. Like, oh, it wasn't like that when I was watching the show or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, technically. And, and they're,
5: they're doing that so, so often now. Like, you're seeing so much stuff, uh, new you know, DuckTales and
6: stuff like that. Yeah, I was I was watching that one with a really, you know, uh, keen eye because, like, okay, well, they're re- technically rebooting a, quote, classical, you know, Disney TV show. Um, totally different style, different actors, whatnot, and I'm, just, I'm sure it had its fans, but, you know, it, it's different. It's just not the same show. So right. I, that's why I'm kind of leery about when – Just talk about like, oh, yeah, let's let's get the Gargoyle series going. I mean, unless you literally can get most of the same crew um, or they would have to like uh, the fandom
5: would probably like eat people if they didn't like get Greg on
6: board. Yeah, it just there's just so many elements, I think, that just need to be in place for an actual Reboot, where the fans will be happy and the quality so would be the same. Well, a revival, um, not
3: really a reboot. A reboot would be a do-over from day
6: one. But yeah, but like yeah, like a revival or, or continuation or whatever you want to call it. But you know, um, like for example, like the the Walt the Walt Disney Animation Japan crew. I mean, they're they're technically still around. Um, they're at a studio called um, oh shoot, I forgot the name of the studio. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, oh no, it just—I totally blanked my mind. Um, anyway, but they're still in Japan. I mean, the, the most of the crew still exists, including the the guy who ran Walt Disney Animation Studios Japan. Um, so you know, for example, let's say Greg says, "Hey, I got this huge budget. I want to do a couple of episodes of Gargoyles." I mean, technically it's possible. You could just go to this studio and, you know, hire the same crew, and you probably could get something that's pretty decent. Um,
5: it would production but, be like like similar to what it
6: was like you
5: the, well I mean, uh, we know that you would be sending it back uh on a hard drive back and forth instead yeah
6: of, uh, i mean i mean it's been a while since i've seen an actual you know inside an actual 2d animation studio but i know in japan they still do things the old-fashioned way where you know you still draw on paper you transfer it to cells and paint it by hand so i mean if disney was willing to keep that same type of production where you know the, the writing and whatever pre-production is done here in the states and then yeah production is done overseas yeah i mean it, it, it could happen i mean the quality could be very similar if not the same um but it has to be like the perfect storm of, of talent in yeah. you know, yeah. and and production values and you know and and of course the budget i mean you know it, when um i don't know if greg's ever mentioned it but like we were always on a shoestring budget because you know because of television we never had that huge budget of you know, feature films so if i showed you the kind of schedule we had i mean it would just be mind blowing it's like we were trying to put an episode together every 30 days or 60 days and then we had to get it done from script to film you know so quickly and um i'm just not sure if, you know, if if production style houses are, are geared to do that anymore with 2D animation because it's it's just fallen so behind compared to 3D. Everybody's doing 3D, you know. Right. So, you know, if not the outsourced to you know China or Korea or something like that. But but um, but yeah. Just to answer your question, sure. I mean, it's it's possible. Um, but personally, I don't know if I would want to see it continued. <laughs> You know, <laughs> you still do. Uh,
5: i get it like like there's like hesitation like you know you've got lightning in a bottle here and like
6: mm-hmm. is yeah like do you you know it's, it's like star wars you know when uh force awakens started you know where everybody's like oh yeah you know you got all these it seems like they got the right elements and blah 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 and you know it can go badly real, real, real quickly yeah. or it can, it can shoot to the stars say wow they got it right this is great you know and and as creators, it's really hard to tell. You think, oh, you guys are at the forefront. You, you guys know this stuff, right? I say, no, it really, you really can't tell until it's really done in the theaters, you know, or on TV in this case. Where, right. um You know, it's like, all right, well, let's say we do reboot Gargoyles and we get a studio that's kind of similar to what we used to do. And, well, the style's different, but, uh, you know, we get some of the same actors to do it. Will it be a hit? I don't know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a well, different era, you know. You know. well, Greg
3: and Brandon Vietti had a hit twice. They were able to bring back Young Justice successfully, so you never know.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's really a crapshoot. I mean, like uh, a recent, a more recent story, I guess for me personally, is like I worked on the last, the last Spider-Man movie, uh, No Way Home, and Bought then it. we thought that. Yeah, and it, people are like, you know, they're just going crazy. I was like, oh, yeah, I made a billion dollars, whatever, whatever, right? And then, <laughs> ironically, the, the next show I worked on was Morbius, which was, excuse me, excuse the term, it was a shit show because it was just horribly directed. Jay Leto, Jared Leto was, you know, he was just Jared Leto. And, and you think, oh, you know, he's following the coteo of a Spider-Man hit, right? This should be a hit movie, and it, was, it did horribly, and it was just a bad movie. But, you know... It, but we didn't know at the time we thought oh okay you know it's, it seems to have right elements right you know it's it's, a, it's still in the spider-man universe it'll probably be big and, and so yeah and then once you see the final edit you're like oh okay this is not going to work or, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know so you know you can be so you can plan it you, you think you can plan it so well you know then oh my god this is we got the right ingredients this is going to be a smash hit and then we just don't know you know um so, yeah, it, it's it's a weird business. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah,
5: so what? You, so, uh, can you tell us what you're working on now,
6: or what is? You- uh, well, oh boy, I'll I'll, I'll tell yes you the thing. Do. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, um, <laughs> thing with Disney and Marvel, man, they're just I don't know where they are with their leak you know, legality. Sometimes, sometimes they don't want to even talk about stuff. But, um, but what can I see? Well, it's the latest project, so I finished. Morbius, um, Doctor Strange coming out, I think next oh, month. yeah yeah uh i did one. did a little bit on that. The show I'm working on now i can't say, but it's been in the art it's been in the news for over a year so um let's just say it's part two to a movie I've already worked on before so <laughs> okay <laughs> nice. Yeah, so it's a it's another big one. Um, but yeah, Marvel Disney, they keep us busy. It's uh it's funny. Like I was saying earlier, like I don't work for Disney anymore, but man, I'm sure working on a lot of Disney <laughs> stuff. <laughs> well, then again they buy everything, so it's like every show we work on is Disney. You know? Right. Yeah. Um I worked on um Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds. I don't know if you guys saw that. Oh, but I love that movie. That I worked on that one as well. And at the time it was a Fox movie. Um so we thought, okay, this has nothing to do with Disney, right? We'll do whatever. And then all of a sudden, I worked on this fight scene where Ryan Reynolds takes out a lightsaber and takes out Captain America's shield, and we're like, wait a minute, are we, to, <laughs> are, are, are we, are we allowed to do this? I mean, it was—I was literally doing those shots, like, wait a minute, he t- literally takes out Captain America's shield. Like, this is—are we going to get trouble for this? Is it I'm, not? I feel uh, like
5: this is like a callback
6: to the whole
5: puck pulling out the mickey mouse was yeah exciting. no i think but <laughs> this is
6: like not even a hidden one this is like in your face like <laughs> you're gonna play the star wars theme and everything when the lightsaber is like no no but anyway that happened to be right at the time where disney bought fox bought like, out. so it right slipped it right in that in that time where okay i guess we can use disney property in in a fox film so that was an interesting project um but it's things like that it's just you know, you really don't know where things go um, as you're working on these things. Like, is it going to be a hit? Is it going to be a failure? Or am I going to be working on a Disney film, Fox film? It's just it, everything just kind of blends in right now, you know? As
5: long as they get you that paycheck.
6: Yeah, in <laughs> the end, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys. I mean, as long as, you know, it's a paying job, you know, I mean, it's I'm sure as a fan, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. Next Doctor Strange, next Spider-Man's coming out, whatever. But you know, on this end, it's like, oh, okay. As long as I'm getting paid, as long as i can pay my your bills. Yeah, nine to
1: five. Yeah, nine 40 to five. Hours a week.
6: Yeah, I turn on. All right, turn on my computer. Next show. All right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, uh, Um, it's interesting too because uh, I don't know if I ever got to explain the previous process too much, but it's like animation, but a lot of times we actually do go to set um, because we have to help the director you know visualize a lot of his work and so you know we're on the set with the actors sometimes and you know we get to mess around and you know help basically create his movies so it's a it's a different creative process but um and uh, with these marvel films it's you know it's like that you're just on these huge sets with the actors and now like oh okay you know you're um trying to make this crazy movie with bazillion dollars but um but yeah yeah it's a it's a fun it's a fun job you know Pizza,
3: awesome. flip burgers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not a Disney or Marvel movie, but you make that, you turn that tennis ball on a stick that Ian McKellen is yelling at into the Bow rug.
6: Right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, you know, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say this, but okay, like, like there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I, I know we were joking about this earlier about like you know stuff I can you know that happens behind the scenes, but like I remember. For, um, uh, well, this is for a Disney film. It was actually for, um, uh, Jungle Book. I don't know if you guys watched the, the, yeah. the latest one. Um, anyway, so I worked on that. And then during previous, we have to sometimes we use motion capture, you know, that, that system where you just put little balls all over the actor and, you know, we can, you know, have them act out stuff and then we can put them onto our little, little computer characters and make them walk around and stuff. Anyway, so, but the problem is that this whole movie was about animals. So, um, Aside from the kid, you know, it's like, all right, well, are we gonna are we gonna hand animate all these animals or do you want us are they gonna use motion capture or what? And then so they insist on using motion capture. I was like, Well, okay, well how, how are, you, are you gonna motion capture real wolves or bears and stuff like this? No, 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 they're gonna use actors. Like, oh all right. So anyway, so the <laughs> gosh i hope i don't get in trouble for saying this but, <laughs> all right so
5: in my mind i was like imagining them putting like this outfit on a lion and <laughs>
6: well, okay so okay so you guys know about like those chinese lion dancers like you know those those ones yeah ended, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay imagine oh, so we had a, have to have a bunch of wolves um and then they're interested they motion captured it so so we have some reference of these little wolves and you know the wolf pack and all that And the data we got back, oh, my God, man, there's just literally these two actors that were joined at the hip with this piece of foam and the front legs and the back legs were, you know, obviously two different people. And they we have to use it to move our wolves around. So you have these weirdly moving wolves where like. They just, they just don't move in unison like the back legs would do its own thing and the front legs would, would bend in half in the wrong way and they were like it was a disaster.
5: It's like those those horse costumes you know
6: like yeah, exactly like you know like how those cartoons always make it look funny because the front and <laughs> the back never get coordinated Anyway, it was like that and I was like oh my god this is a disaster but anyway that was one of the funnier memories of behind the scenes that we all have to deal with but um, but and and it was a Disney film you think oh they would know better but no no because <laughs> <laughs> you have money Yeah, money,
5: all the money in the world
6: yep, but yeah, yeah yeah, but,
3: but yeah, I think um, Disney would know better about a lot of things, they don't know what they have with this property
6: uh, you know that is so true
5: <laughs> uh, you know, we, we got some comics out of them and,
6: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah
3: yeah, yeah. Like yeah so that's I mean hopefully more and new action figures, exactly. so hopefully more. <laughs> All right, there you go. I love it. All right, <laughs> Roy, too. thank yeah. you
5: so much for
6: you joining us. This has been
5: fun. so much fun and informative, and oh yes. I'm really excited that, that you were able
6: to join us. Oh, I Did enjoyed myself stuff, and thanks, thanks for inviting me. It was uh, if you guys ever need to hear more behind the stories talk talk, then. Uh, Yeah, ring me up. Excellent. Oh, we'd love that. And before we
3: go, just want to say the first time I ever heard of you, I actually heard of you before I'd ever heard of Greg Wiseman. I wasn't on the internet yet. I didn't know who Greg Wiseman was. I knew some of the voice actors were. But Marvel had a comic book coming out, and I believe you had a letter published in it.
6: Oh, my God, yeah. I remember that. I wrote a comic book back in the day. I forgot what I said, but I remember... I think I just wanted to put my name out there, saying I was one of the, the the animators on the show or something, and and I wrote and I think they published it, right? I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh man. Vashinsky, wow. You are
3: such a nerd. Wow. Man, <laughs> uh, you just dusted off that little
6: That's piece of
4: history. That's
3: what What are you? <laughs> wow, so awesome. dude, I'm, I'm such a nerd. This. She's more of a
6: nerd than I am. Trust me. Oh. Wow. Okay. <laughs> all, right. all right. Wow. I'm almost embarrassed to admit that. I I, I remember <laughs> writing that cop I remember writing that. I mean, I, I probably have that that issue somewhere too. All right. Amazing. Um, <laughs> well, is big. there
5: is there anything that you want to promote?
6: Um. Well, unfortunately, I can't admit what I'm working on right now. But I, all I can say is just keep watching those Marvel movies, and <laughs> you'll probably see my name go by in a millisecond. And That's it. Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) So, people are signing for the credits. Yeah, right. They're just waiting for that post credit scene. (laughs) But, yeah.
5: Give Kiva our love.
6: Oh, definitely. And thanks, guys. Mm -hmm. Really, it was really fun. It was a blast. (laughs) All right. Take care. Thank you you so much for coming. Thanks thanks for everything, guys. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) And
3: I want to thank our listeners for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and tune in next time for Reawakening. We're at the end of season one.
1: Thank you.
6: Would you like an autograph? How about I write it across your
1: face?